In this episode, we're going to talk about why the most important people in your life do not deserve the worst part of your day. Hey everyone, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. I would like to thank Anthony, my most recent supporter on Patreon, who has started supporting me every month. If you would like to join him and others in supporting this ministry, you can go to patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith, or check the link down in the show notes. You wake up, you start working, you stop working, you eat, you sleep, and then you repeat it again. This is the Monday through Friday pattern of the average American, and over time, it becomes a steady, though very monotonous routine. After eight to 10 hours of working or taking care of the kids, exhaustion sets in and we are just ready for the day to be over. But then maybe we check the mail and we get a bill that we don't wanna see, we realize that our spouse didn't go to the store, and once again, the kids did not clean up their mess like you told them to. So you stomp, you yell, maybe you clam up, or you just sit and feel sorry for yourself. And this too is a typical weekly routine for so many people. But what we wanna ask ourselves is, is this what our families deserve? And that is ultimately what we're going to be looking at in this episode. We're going to be looking at how we, in a way, prioritize lower priorities. We give other people the better side of ourselves, and we give our families, which are the people that we are called to love and serve the most as followers of Jesus Christ, the worst side of ourselves. As always, the goal here is not to beat people up, but to call people to honestly examine themselves, to see if they need to repent, and at the end of the day, draw all of us closer to Jesus Christ as we love and serve him through how we treat our families. So, but let's start off with talking about how we prioritize those lower priorities. It's easy to let our coworkers, our friends, and our fellow churchgoers get the best side of us. We put in the effort to present ourselves well, we will work out our problems with them with calm and patience, and if we reflect, we really usually don't find ourselves needing to repent of too much sin when it comes to people outside of our home. Now, sometimes this is just an act to try to impress people, but often we genuinely do want to honor Christ through how we interact with others around us. But if we're honest, if we look at how we treat our friends, coworkers, people at church, most of us don't put in the same effort with those who are more important than those friends and coworkers. So let's take a moment to ask ourselves, how often do we strive to love our family, displaying Christ more than we show love to our own sinful selves? How often do we give them the best side of ourselves? How often do we choose to look the other way when they say something that maybe wasn't the best thing to say, maybe wasn't the most loving thing? How often do we set out to show them love? How often do we think about them throughout the day because we're excited to talk to them about something? Do we show our families more love and more honor than we do other people? Now, 
yes, obviously there's a certain comfort that comes with being at home because it allows us to be vulnerable and honest. Because sometimes being at work, being around friends, going to church can feel exhausting because you feel like you have to be on your best behavior. You have to act this certain way to people. And at home, we feel free from that. We feel like we don't have to strive as hard to be other than who we truly are. But too often, that comfort, that ease of being at home can turn into a kind of tyranny where we use our family as a means to vent our frustrations about the day or let them feel our anger or discouragement about life in general. Now, if we honestly reflect on that, we know that it's not fair to them, but we also rarely have to confront ourselves with what we're truly doing to them. Because again, it's our routine. We are accustomed to coming home and feeling like we need to yell or criticize others or just silently harbor some bitter resentment. Likewise, our families have no choice but to make it their routine to inspire to expect an increase in hostility when we're around. Perhaps that routine gets to the point where they silently dread having to be around us. So if we recognize the general reality of that, just outside of what God's word might say about that, but if we just recognize that, yes, maybe my family does get the worst side of me. Maybe I do use my family as a way to let out my frustrations. Maybe I treat my family different and worse than other people in the world. Well, then let's start examining what God's word might have to say about that. Because this routine, although it's normal, although it's common, has more going on with it than just someone who is tired from the day. Ephesians 4.31 says, You must put away every kind of bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, and evil and slanderous talk. So this verse really gets at why it is that we do what we do when we treat our family a certain way. So what I'd like to do is look at how each of these things that God's word tells us to put away, how they play out in our lives with our family and what it's going to look like or what it may look like now when we choose to bring them out and put them on display instead of putting them away, getting rid of them and replacing them with joy. So the first one to talk about is bitterness. This is where we quietly hold in resentment and frustration, usually pushing it down while constantly repeating, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine to anyone who asks. Perhaps we will even adopt what the world calls a martyr complex, where we feel like we have to take on the whole weight of the world because if no one else will do it, then I guess we just have to. So bitterness is kind of like a slow burning flame where it sits for years and just slowly burns out our joy. Now, some people may only struggle with bitterness when they're interacting with their family at home, But a lot of times that bitterness, if not now, then eventually will lead to even worse displays in how we treat our family. Now, the next thing we're told to put away is anger. Now, this is probably just a louder version of bitterness. 
This is where we will stomp around, we'll make biting remarks, and we'll even yell to make ourselves feel better. And so anger is not always, but often a way that we comfort ourselves by saying, well, I'm just trying to get them to change. I'm just trying to let them know what I'm not happy about. I'm just trying to be honest, but we're not being honest. We're being angry. We are setting out to hurt people. We aren't trying to create change. We're not trying to encourage someone in an area where they're weak. We are upset. We are bitter. We are angry. And so we want others to hurt so that we can feel better. And of course, like bitterness, anger is something that can just sit in our heart for years and will often result in us sinning against others, often without seeking for biblical forgiveness. Because remember, biblical forgiveness is not saying, I'm sorry. It is identifying a sin, telling someone how you've sinned against them, and then asking if they will forgive you. But moving on from anger, we now have wrath. So when I think of wrath, I like to picture a, a giant meteor hurtling through the universe on a collision course with Earth. It's building up steam. It's building up power. And so when it hits, it is going to be completely explosive and absolutely devastating. Now, practically speaking, wrath is often what happens when we build up bitterness and anger to the point of letting it explode out all at once. This is where we will throw things, we will scream ugly words, and maybe even physically threaten or actually harm those around us. So at this point, for most people, we've got kind of a three-step building block. For most people, it will start with bitterness. Bitterness will then lead to anger, where we are no longer content to just silently brood, but instead we want to let people around us know. And then maybe because anger feels so good, maybe because we are getting more angry because our childish tantrums aren't changing our lives, we will then lead it up to wrath, which is much more explosive and destructive. The next thing that we are told to put away is quarreling. Now, this is where we are constantly looking for a fight. Sometimes we will assume the worst in others, or we'll always feel like we have to defend ourselves against any hint of criticism. And so whenever we are interacting with someone, we are pointing out their flaws, or we are waiting or assuming that they're going to point out our flaws. And so we are immediately on the defensive, protecting ourselves and fighting against someone who isn't trying to fight with us. At home, this can look like us provoking our kids or spouses. We will point out things wrong that they've done. We will complain about things that we are not happy about that maybe they didn't even know was an issue with our spouse especially. We can try to protect ourselves from hurting by hurting them first. But at the end of the day, when we are present in the home, our presence can be marked not with joy, not with rest, not with safety, but with quarreling. With people around us wondering, what are they going to pick a fight about now? What are they going to nag me about? What are they going to complain about or criticize unnecessarily? Now, the next one is evil, and this one could be better translated as evil intent. And based on the context where this is found, that probably makes more sense. 
because our evil intent is just talking about our outward actions towards others. And it is essentially doing things, performing actions with the intent to do evil to someone, to hurt someone, to invoke some kind of cruelty against them. Now, this can take on all kinds of forms. One might be not cleaning up a mess after someone else so that they will, quote, learn their lesson. It can be telling our kids no or making our kids do something simply because we are upset and it feels good to be able to deny them or force them to bend to our will. Or with our spouses, this can even look like withholding intimacy from them because they've done something to upset us. Now, evil intent can find itself in an almost unlimited number of ways. But the best way to identify if we are treating our families with evil intent is to ask ourselves a simple question. Am I taking this action to honor Christ or to make myself feel better? And very often that will help us identify if the motivation of our heart is Christ-honoring or self-honoring, if it's holy or if it's evil. Now, the last one that we're told to put away is slanderous talk. Now, this is often seen as gossip, where we will complain to our friends, I cannot believe my husband did this. I cannot believe my wife did this. I am so tired of my kids. On and on, where we are venting our frustrations to tear someone else down because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel good or even validated to let others know that we are hurt, to encourage others to hate our spouse or our kids right alongside us, or maybe even to let them say things to us that agree with us, to, to tell us, yes, your spouse is the worst. Yes, your kids are terrible. But this can also become something far more sinister within the walls of our own home. As I said, the point of slanderous talk is to tear a person down, to dehumanize them, because we no longer treat them as an image bearer of God, but instead as a problem with two arms and two legs. And it lets us elevate ourselves by hurting someone. That's what it looks like when we talk to others, but it's also what it can look like when we are interacting with that person that has upset us. This can happen with parents speaking to one another, where we are yelling at each other, tearing each other down, but far more often, it probably happens in our own minds. Because even without speaking to someone, we will grumble, we will criticize, and we will even attack our own family without uttering a single word because we say it all to ourselves. We will go around in bitterness, in anger, with quarreling with evil intention in our hearts, and we will constantly talk to ourselves about our spouse, about our kids. And we will think the worst things about them. And then over time, where this gets especially dangerous, is that when the only person to check the truthfulness of what we're saying is ourselves, then we start to believe the things that we say about them. 
the things that we are thinking about them, the assumptions that we make, suddenly become our reality of who they truly are. Because we may spend two hours with our kids, but if we spend four, five hours throughout the day thinking and dwelling on how frustrating they are, how lazy they are, how disrespectful they are, how they don't try hard in school, how you're going to get home or you're going to go into that bedroom and it's just going to be the worst thing, then suddenly that becomes true. And no longer are we just changing the minds of our friends or our family when we grumble about them and talk slanderously about our family to them, but we even affect what we truly believe about the most important people in our lives, about the people who are our greatest mission field, and the people that we can show the love of Jesus to the most are the ones that we turn ourselves against. So this is a way, or several ways, that we cannot give our best to the people in our home. And I imagine all of us are guilty of at least one of these. And at this point, it's good if we can identify and be truthful with ourselves about how it is that we treat those within the walls of our home. But now we want to ask, how do we disrupt this sinful routine that doesn't glorify God or doesn't show our families the joy and peace of a person who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. How do we stop living like the rest of the world and not just put on an outward appearance, but inwardly as well? How do we live out the joy of Christ in our lives and especially in the lives of those around us? What steps can we take to put these things away and not just putting off evil things, but instead to put on a Christ-honoring relationship. Well, the first thing that we can do is ask for forgiveness. Psalm 51.10 should be our prayer as we are thinking about how we are treating other people in our home. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. When we realize our weakness or our sinfulness, and we see how we've sinned against a holy God, we realize our need for forgiveness. And although we can never be separated by, from God because of our sinfulness, our choices still create a temporary rift. We still create a barrier in our relationship to God. And God then needs to deal with us as the loving father that he is. If we insist on sitting in our sinfulness and harboring that sin, then God, because he loves us, is going to have to deal with us. But by confessing our sin to him, we will recognize our inability to rely on our own power to kill sin. And so we need to mend that relationship with God where we have basically disrespected and dishonored the people that he and his sovereignty has put into our lives. But not only do we need to do that and fix our, what's, you know, what, what people call our vertical relationship, but we also need to fix our horizontal relationship. And we know that because of what follows that verse in Ephesians that we just read. So let's go back and read Ephesians 4.31 and then read verse 32 after. So you must put away every kind of bitterness, anger, 
wrath, quarreling, and evil, and slanderous talk. Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. The sad reality is that many of us have spent years hurting our family without any form of asking for forgiveness. At best, we might say, sorry, I lost my temper again. But no, that's not what we're doing. And wanting to change is wonderful, but change without humility is not going to stick. So just as we need to humble ourselves before God, we also need to approach our family with humility and brokenness. Not with the attitude of, I'm sorry I yell, but I just get so mad when I come home and the living room is a disaster. Instead, we need to be honest with ourselves so that we can honestly say to them, I know I've sinned with my anger, I've fill in the blank, show how you've sinned against them with your anger, and I've been a poor example of Christ. Will you forgive me? Because that is the attitude and the heart position that we need to have when we go to God, where we don't make excuses, we don't blame it on our biology, we don't minimize what our sin is, we call it what it is, we name the way that we have sinned, and we ask for forgiveness. And from that posture of humility and seeking forgiveness, we will be able to start killing these sins that we've held for years. So if you are so tired of being angry, of having division in your family. If you recognize that you've sinned against your family by complaining about them to your friends, the first step is to humble yourself before God and before your family, asking them to forgive you. Maybe even asking your friends to forgive you because you have not shown them what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like and talks like you've lived like the rest of the world in front of them and told them that this is what Jesus loves. This is what the life of a Christian ought to look like. It should be full of complaining, of bitterness, of slanderous talk against our family. The first step is humility and seeking forgiveness. Next, we want to find our joy in Christ. John 15 verse 5 and 11 say, I am the vine and you are the branches. This is Jesus talking. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, because apart from me you can accomplish nothing. And then verse 11 says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Now it's beyond the scope of this episode, but in the past, I've talked about how anger itself is rarely our root issue. Anger may be what we display or bitterness or however it plays out in our lives. That may be what we display, but that's often coming from something deeper in our hearts. And I will have a link down in the show notes for the previous discussion on that. But instead, for now, it's important that we realize that our anger is just the fruit of the true root in our hearts. And often, that can simply be understood as trying to find joy apart from Christ. So maybe we think, if I could just have a clean house, if my spouse was more attentive to me, if I had a better home, if we had more money, whatever it is, we think, if I had these things, then I could be happy. 
but then we don't have those things and so we get angry we hurt those around us we try to distract ourselves from our unhappiness by making those around us unhappy instead ultimately our root issue is that we are not in control and do not have the power to make our lives exactly how we want it our joy is found in things going according to our plans in seeing our desires fulfilled and when we realize that we're weak when we realize that hey i'm not god who can have sovereign will over the entire universe then we react sinfully because we are already sinfully finding our joy in our circumstances instead of jesus christ but here in this john passage jesus reminds us that he is enough he is sufficient to save us from sin to comfort us in our weakness and to supply all of our joy so when we start finding satisfaction in jesus christ alone regardless of our paycheck or our health or the cleanliness of our home we find a source of joy that cannot fail us because our joy is no longer found in our circumstances that can change at a moment's notice but instead our joy will be found in the unchanging perfect son of god and then finally once we are understanding these two things the need to repent and ask for forgiveness and the need to put off our bitterness, put off our selfishness, and instead find joy in Jesus Christ. The next and final step for us is to choose joy even when we don't feel like it. Philippians 2.3 says, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourselves. Many of us make sacrifices for our families, whether it's money we'd like to use on ourselves or whether it's time spent attending activities with them. We know that joy comes with giving up what we want for those we care about. Everything that we talked about in Ephesians 4.31, all those anger and bitterness things that we need to put away. All of those things are a choice we make. And in our sinfulness, we often choose one, of, one or more of those things because we think they will make us happy in the moment, even though we may hate it at the same time. The reality is that none of us are victims of anger. None of us can say, I just can't help myself. We can. We choose not to. We choose bitterness. We choose anger, wrath, slanderous talk. We choose to pick those fights. Sin is a choice that we make because Jesus Christ has set us free from our bondage to sin. We no longer have to sin. Any sin we do is a choice that we are making. And that's where we can realize that in every situation we find ourselves in, we choose to love ourselves or we choose to love Jesus Christ. When we sin against others, what we're ultimately doing is putting our anger or bitterness above them and above Jesus. When we choose not to put away sin, we tell ourselves that holding on to it will generate some kind of comfort or happiness or joy in our lives. But 
when we choose to put that away and instead love our family because we love Jesus, because we know what he did on the cross, what he has set us free from, because we know the joy-filled life he calls us to, then we will experience true joy in Jesus Christ, even in a messy home, even with kids who don't obey, even with a spouse who may not robotically act and behave in every way we want, and even when our family genuinely does sin against us, when our kids are rebellious, when our spouse is not loving to us, we can still choose this joy, even if we don't feel like it. And in the midst of all that, there might be times where we are just so on fire for Christ that it's easy to find joy in Him instead of sin. But far more often, in that day-to-day routine that we find ourselves in, our love for Christ might rub against our desire to pursue sin. But we can find great comfort and great peace and great rest in knowing that in those moments, in that day-to-day grind, in that exhausting feeling of spending all of our day working or taking care of kids, that we aren't the ones who need to be strong. We aren't the ones that have to fight against our sin. Instead, the greatest thing that we can do to love God and to love our families is to humble ourselves before God so that we can see our need to rely on Jesus Christ even more. Remember 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may reside in me. If you're listening to this episode and you realize that your family doesn't get the best side of you, that you probably sin against your family more than you sin against anyone else in your entire life, if you realize that the people that God has given you, you treat as worthless, maybe not all the time, but you know deep down that you do not honor God by how you treat your family, then take great comfort in what Paul learned. The grace of Jesus is sufficient for us because in our weakness, in our desire to sin, in our exhaustion, in our frustration, in our wanting to not honor Jesus, that is where we truly see his power. Because Jesus Christ is big all the time in our lives. But the time that we see him the most and the time that others see him the most isn't when following him is easy and obeying him is easy. It's those times where, under our own efforts, it is impossible for us to do the right thing, to do what God wants us to do. But no matter how frustrated or angry we are, when we can humble ourselves before God and rest in Jesus Christ, then we will see his power greatly in our lives, and our families will see it as well. If you need to, don't wait. Go repent to your God then go repent to your people. Identify the ways where you're trying to find joy in your circumstances instead of Jesus Christ. And day to day, moment to moment, choose joy by relying on Jesus Christ and resting in him, even if in your sinfulness, you don't feel like it. Your family, no matter how difficult or frustrating they may be, is a beautiful gift from God. So treat them 
like God desires for you to treat them and experience the overwhelming joy of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ. 